happy moment. Hello and welcome to episode 8 of the Kaiju Groupie Podcast. I am your host, Michael, and in this episode, we are continuing our conversation with the creator of the Godzilla novelization project, Mr. Danny DeManna. During part one, we got to know Danny, the kaiju fanboy, and learn a little bit about the GMP. But in part two, we dive even deeper into Danny's work on the project as we discuss his biggest challenge while working on this massive undertaking. Also, dear audio listener, if you stick around to the end, we have a really awesome treat for you guys that we think you will all find really entertaining. Uh, It was a lot of fun doing this episode with Danny, uh, and I really hope you guys enjoy it as much as we did. But before we move into the main portion of the episode, I want to do a little bit of housekeeping and mention that if you want to support this show, you can do so by leaving us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. I don't have a Patreon. There's really not a plan for a Patreon just yet, um, at least not in the foreseeable future anyway. So leaving me a five-star review on Apple Podcasts really is the best way you can help support this show and help get this podcast in front of other kaiju and tokusatsu fans just like you. Another way you can leave feedback for the show is by emailing your comments to kaijugroupypod at gmail.com. And I promise if you do either one of those, if you leave me a review on Apple Podcasts, or if you send me an email, I will read those comments on a future episode. So without further ado, let's jump into part two of my discussion with Danny DeManna. So let me ask you, Danny, I'm assuming now, correct me if I'm wrong. I'm assuming that you are transcribing these films word for word, or are you um, adding in some things through your creative process? Well, it's, it's mostly the former, but sometimes when the the situation calls for it, the latter, because number one, um, this is actually something that is on the website. It's one of my, uh, my little behind the scenes blogs that I wrote about what I call the, the guiding principles of the project. And one of them is respect, respect, respect. And for me, respect means honoring the original vision of the people that made the films. Um, the people who directed, the people who acted in it, the people who wrote the scripts. Uh, if, you know, it, those, I, it's, you know, I have so much respect for those people and so much love for the films that, um, you know, to, to deviate too far, I feel would be uh, stepping on creative shoes that I just don't want to step on because there's no way I could ever do anything as good as these guys. You know, it's, you know, who am I to put words in the mouth of, uh, 
you know, character A or character B, you know? So I have to choose those moments very carefully. So for the most part, what you read in the, the Godzilla novelization project in terms of like dialogue is, is pretty much what they're saying in the original Japanese versions. These versions are uh, entirely based on the Japanese cuts. And I, I love sneaking in mm-hmm. little references to the dubs, but because I, I love the dubs, I grew up with them. I adore them, but right. these versions are, Same. yeah, yeah. But uh, these, <clears throat> but uh, these versions are, based on the Japanese version. So respect, respect, respect. So I don't want to, I don't want to sure. deviate too far and get into like, um, like fan fiction territory. You know what I mean? Where I make, I'm kind of putting right. words in people's mouths. And there've been a couple of exceptions for that uh, because there are parts of the story that I wanted to preserve. And a, a good example of that is actually my adaptation of um, Godzilla versus Hedera which mm-hmm. is already an insanely, obscenely hard film to convert to the written word because it's such a visually arresting film. That film right. is lives or dies on its crazy, trippy visuals. And try- Yeah, I, I agree. Yeah, try, trying to put that- I agree. Yeah. There, and there's really not, uh, if I'm recalling it correctly, it's been a little, it's been a little while since I watched it. I, last time I watched it was, I think, when the Criterion set came oh, out. Oh, nice. But there's not- um, there's not a ton of dialogue in that film either. There's, um, I would say there's, there's a fair amount, but I, less, I think, than a lot. Cause the monster fights are pretty long. Uh, there's a lot right. of close-ups on people's faces looking at something horrifying. I mean, the entire right. first probably 10 minutes of the movie only has the characters say a few lines because it jumps from the, the creepy opening all the way to, uh, the moment when Yano was swimming and it's just the silent, mm-hmm. horrifying montage of images of dead animals and garbage under the water. And it's all the music, you know, it's all that great, uh, Reichiro Manabe, uh, soundtrack. And, um, one of the great things about one of the many, many great trippy things about, um, Godzilla versus Hedera are those, uh, political cartoons that pop up. Um, where they're very anime-like, and uh, but they do function like political cartoons. The first one where uh, Hedera is surrounded by dead fish uh, and he's drinking oil out of the tanker. Um, oh, yeah, 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 that yeah, one. Yeah, yeah. so the, the thing about that is that those don't really have a narrative place that they fit in the film. They're just a stylistic choice. They're not really part of anything that a character is watching or creating. They're just in the film as is. You know, they don't fit anywhere into the actual narrative. They're, they're part of the, the style of the film. But I felt like deleting those political cartoons was just so wrong. I, I couldn't do it. So I decided that I needed to find a way to put them into the actual narrative. And so there is a chapter of Godzilla versus Hedera uh, sure. that does not, that has uh, s- subtle events in it that don't actually appear in the film. Um, but it was an excuse for the political cartoon to be added. It's a chapter in which um, the other way I, I rationalized it is because um, I wanted to kind of get inside Dr. Yano's head because he's just been attacked. He's seen something mm-hmm. horrifying and I wanted to kind of give him almost a PTSD angle where he can't sleep because he sees the bright eyes of Hedera when he closes his eyes and he can't, he can't, okay. you know, I thought it would be kind of an interesting way to develop his character uh, without, you know, in, inventing a lot, you know, cause it seems like he's pretty, you know, messed up in the movie. So I just kind of wrote this chapter where he couldn't sleep and he got up, turned on the TV and that cartoon is playing. And that gave me an excuse yeah. to put the cartoon moment into the narrative. And then he turns the TV off and he's basically like, 
what the heck was that? You know, <laughs> what was that weird thing? So I'm, I haven't gotten far enough in the book to include the other cartoons, like the factory that's eating the greenery or um, right. the one that's oddly uh, uh, timely now, which is the uh, hetero gas masks uh, for sale. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <one. laughs> uh- Hearing you talk about it, Danny, it makes me kind of want to go back and rewatch it because I know, at, at least at the time of this recording, our friends at uh, the Kaiju Apostle podcast, David and Chris, have already released their episode on um, uh, Godzilla versus Hedera. And I remember, I think, if I'm not mistaken, David told me that that they that they do reference some things about COVID nineteen in that discussion uh as it relates to the film and so i'm pro i, I want to go back and rewatch it uh just to see what those see if it has any of those parallels to to what's going on in the world today um but danny let me ask you i know i know you said you were probably i would assume that you're probably the most nervous about translating the original gojira to the written word but would you would i would i be correct in assuming that header has probably been your your biggest challenge you would uh, you'd absolutely be correct on that because, I mean, Godzilla is the the original Godzilla is. Um, I mean, what can you say? It's the original Godzilla. There's that's a that's one of the ones I kind of have to turn that little voice in my head off who's saying you know, it's 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 a masterpiece. You're gonna mess it up, you know. No, yeah. I, but I I got to turn that little dude off. He's he's annoying. But um, the hetera, as I would say, is actually much more challenging, but in a, in a different way, because Godzilla is the, the weight of legacy and Godzilla versus Hedera is the weight of uh, like crazy, unique artistic vision. Uh, mm-hmm. It's just such a unique uh, film. And I know that there are a lot of Godzilla fans that don't, um, don't really like that one that much. I, I love it. I mean, I love all the movies, but I have a soft spot for Hedera because it's, it's one of the ones I grew up with. It was on the tape from the sci-fi channel uh, Labor Day Marathon. So I, I, yeah. I love that movie, but it's yeah. so, I mean, Kaiju movies, Tokusatsu movies are inherently reliant on their visuals uh, you sure. know, to, to tell, I mean, you got to have a good story. You got to have all this good stuff going on, but you know, you go to see the movie, you know, you go to see the monsters, you go to see all this stuff. And if something like uh, the original Godzilla or, you know, Mothra versus Godzilla, you know, pick a show, a film out of a hat is reliant on its visuals. Then, you know, <laughs> Godzilla versus header is on an entirely different level because I mean, there's all kinds of crazy stuff in that movie that doesn't make any sense. There's an entire black and white sequence that lasts, I think, almost a whole minute in the film. Uh, and then it just cuts right to color. And there's no reason other than it's a stylistic choice that Bono yeah. chose because he was trying to imply the hopelessness and he wasn't trying to imply the the dourness and the like the fact that all these kids wanted to throw this party on top of Mount Fuji and like no one showed up. It's just a, it's just a couple of sad people and one, you know, probably high hippie playing his guitar. Uh, Mm. not sure how he plugged his amp in. That's going to be fun to figure out, but, um, (laughs) (laughs) maybe they were, maybe Bono was trying to capture the same, um, hopelessness from the original Gojira and in, in that sequence. I agree. I completely agree. Um, that's a really interesting kind of a thought. It, It is the first time, and only time since that um, 
you know, that it's gone back to black and white until it jumps ahead to the later films and we get stuff like the, the black and white sequence in Megagiris and flashbacks yeah. and stuff like that. But, you know, it's, it, that's a very good, good observation, but like, how do you, I joked about this uh, once before when somebody asked me about it, like, am I supposed to write that scene with like dour terminology to imply sepia tones? Like, how am I supposed to do that? Do I just ignore it? I mean, I don't feel like I should. So it's, it's very, it's difficult knowing what to keep and like how to keep it. Because I mean, you have like the, the crazy, the entire, the the next chapter that I'm working on for the film right now involves the, the hippie nightclub sequence uh, where um, Yukio trips out on LSD and has the fish. Oh, uh, the, the, yes. So, I was going to say the, the fish mask. Fish mask. Yeah. So, I mean, I don't, I actually did. I wrote another behind the scenes blog about this. That's on the website right now where I compared the film to Roger Corman's uh, the trip, uh, which is a, a movie that it was one of the first movies to really dive into LSD and what it did to the human brain. And uh, uh, Roger Corman actually did. I mean, he, he didn't, do drugs, but he actually decided that he couldn't make this movie unless he tried LSD. So he had a controlled environment. Mm-hmm. He had um, someone taking notes and he took LSG, LSD and sure. uh, had a great trip apparently. And then came out okay. and then came out of the other side and said, I still don't feel like I can make the movie because I want to tell like the effects of a bad trip. And so he, he basically was like, okay, who do I know that I like has definitely had a bad trip. And then he went, Oh wait, duh. Got on the phone. Hey, is this Jack Nicholson? I need your help. <laughs> can you, can, true story. Can you please tell me what a bad trip is like? And so they they made this movie that uh, not only told of the dangers of tripping, but tried to visually evoke the 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 you know what it felt like to trip, and then convey it to the audience. And in my this blog that I wrote, I basically mm-hmm. said that's neat and all, but there are some things that I will not do to write this book. Uh, I. <laughs> So your, your yeah. dedication to this project only goes so only far. Goes, Is that I what you're saying? I have my limits. Uh, I care, right. okay. but I don't care that much. Like I, I care a lot, but not to the point where I'm going to do anything crazy. So trying to, right. you know, my, <laughs> trying to like capture that, that psychedelic imagery, the dancing skeletons on the wall, the fish heads, the, the sequence kind of towards the end of the film where uh, it's kind of like a really demented Brady Bunch vision where you've got all the heads in the boxes. It's like mm-hmm. a really, really cacophonous version of Hollywood squares. And they're yeah. just yelling yeah. and it turns into all the flashing lights. Like how, how do you write that? Like, how do you do that? But rather than be intimidated by those things, I, I, I use that like to like fuel my desire to want to do it, like to try it. So I haven't gotten that far sure. in the story yet, but um, as of right okay. now, the books that I've started, that's the one that will probably be the biggest challenge in terms of getting the narrative right. Um, the only one I think that could beat it in terms of just writing the story and getting it right is uh, Shin Godzilla. When I finally get to that one, yeah, that one, when you finally get to that one, because you're going to have to account for some of the complexities oh, of oh, um, oh boy of of uh, uh, Japan national relations, uh, all and, the government stuff, all the bureaucracy, all the, cause yeah. this is, this is where the research really comes in handy and where, yeah. um, getting research material, um, and, and like the help of, uh, Patreon supporters and stuff like that really helps me sure. is because, uh, I don't like, I like Japanese culture. I know a fair amount, but I don't know the, fr- like, as of right now, I do not know the first thing about the way the Japanese government 
is structured and how like I can watch the film and understand it to the point where I know that it's satirizing how ineffectual it is. Right. So yeah. I get that part of it. That's universal. You know, like there, mm-hmm. there are some people that don't, that don't connect with it to, to that degree. And there's a part of me that yeah. literally can't because of the cultural divide. But my, right. my goal is to try to take that divide and just compress it as much as possible and learn uh, because there's a lot of fun things to learn when you do a project like this. And I'd love yeah. to learn more about how, um, I mean, obviously I'd love to learn. And I also have committed to learning. I have to now learn how to do it. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Which is also, absolutely. also kind of fun because it's like, well, now I've committed to it and it's just an excuse to sit down with a book or, you know, uh, maybe talk to somebody who knows more about it than I do. Like maybe interview someone mm-hmm. and write down what they have to say and then go in and write the book. You know, it's, it's, it's a lot of work, uh, but it's, it doesn't scare me. And, you know, I, I refuse to think about it hard enough to let it scare me because then, then I'll just stop. <laughs> well, I mean, you've already got guts. I'll, I'll give you this, Danny. You've already got guts for just embarking on this adventure anyway. <laughs> Thank you. Um, so let me ask you really quick. What's been, um, what's been the, what's been the, the film that's been the most fun to adapt to the written word, man, that is, Oh, it's another good question. They're all remarkably fun to different degrees. Um, it's hard to pick, but, ah, man, I'll, I'll just off the top of my head. I will cherry pick, um, uh, I'll cherry, I'll okay. cherry pick that one uh, just because A, I love the film and B, the characters are so much fun to write for. Uh, the characters mm-hmm. in Godzilla versus Gigan, um, I've, I've talked about this elsewhere, but it, it bears repeating. The characters are phenomenal in Gigan. Right. Gengo, I connect with him being an, you know, an artist obsessed with monsters. I mean, it's, we kind of got a thing going on where he's, yeah. he's I, I get him. I get him. He's goofy. He's endearing. Um you know, the, you know, you've got karate kicking girlfriend, you've got worried sister, you've got corn cob hippie, uh, you know, you've got all these great visually interesting characters and they're, you know, even the ones that aren't developed that much are at least fun. Uh, the villains are great. Um, you know, for a film that's very, very influenced by the success of uh, Monster Zero, the, the, the nebula aliens, the cockroaches are not just copied and pasted exilians from Monster Zero. They are their own unique uh, entity, and um, they're they're rather horrific. I find them to be very scary. Uh, just in, just in terms of, you know, it's a little bit creepier in the dub because the dub implies that they're living in human corpses, uh, which is actually not accurate. Uh, that was just in the dub. the uh, The original version uh, describes their bodies as projections, but it's still kind of creepy to think that they found dead people and like copied them. And that there's bugs inside, so they're they're just they're right. just fun. Um, I find Kubota to be a uh, a really fun villain to write for because uh-huh. uh, I just love how visually interesting he is, and the fact that the the dude just doesn't blink. Like watch the movie. Like he, I know he blinks a few times in there, but like for the most part, he just stares. Um, the plot is fun. The um, you know the the monster battle is going to be really fun to to uh, to write for. So that one that one's been really, really just a, that one's just been a joy. That one's just been a joy uh, to, to write for and to be like, okay, what does Gengo think of this situation? Um, the second to last chapter that I wrote for it kind of talks. It's, it's, it's interesting because again, it's one of those instances where I took a moment in the film that is basically like 10 seconds long and I made it half the chapter. I basically narrated his thoughts as he was drawing Shukra and Mamagon. 
and uh, kind of got into what his creative process was. So that was just a, you know, okay. as you know, I didn't have to do that. I could have just said exactly what he said in the film, but I thought it would be a fun yeah. way to uh, give him a bit, you know, of an interesting character because you got to wonder yeah. what he's thinking. I mean, those two monsters are ridiculous. You know, they're, well, they're wonderful. The, the funniest, like the, the one part of that, uh, sequence there at the beginning of the movie. Uh, well, it may not be exactly at the beginning, but it's very close when, when his girlfriend walks in, picks up the painting of mama gone and she, uh, in the dub, she says, well, this looks oddly familiar or something like, or something of that you nature. Cheeky pig. And you, yeah, you cheeky pig. <laughs> I love it. Um, I would love to know what he was thinking while he was drawing her. Like, did they have a fight the night before and now he's just projecting that onto the page or, yeah. or what? So, I, um, uh, I think I addressed that a, not, not as much as I maybe could have, but I remember in the first mm-hmm. chapter I wrote, um, it's really funny because she's in that same shirt. Uh, in mm-hmm. the, in yeah, the, that's what makes it, that's funny. what makes it funny. She's in the same, she's in the same shirt at the beginning of the movie when they're at the, the, the restaurant and she hands him the Godzilla tower information. And then later mm-hmm. on, presumably several days later, she's in the shirt. She's still in that shirt when she goes to pick up the Mamagon picture. And so I had it in my head that like Gengo's a frustrated artist, right? Like he's frustrated. He's, he's going to nitpick things. And I had it that he was just kind of looking at her and thinking like, God, does she ever wash that shirt? Like I imagine that it's like a running joke in his head where he's just like, dude, my girlfriend wears the same shirt all the time. I have to like put this in a picture and make a joke out of it. So that's, that's what I chose to do with it because I thought it was funny that she had the same shirt on definitely Mm -hmm. two different days in the film. And then if you watch the movie, I don't think she wears the shirt after that. Uh, I'm pretty sure she like she it's a little bit of a passive aggressive jab that he did. And I think maybe she saw the picture and was like, ah, I should probably wash the shirt. Uh, I don't know, but it's, <laughs> that's it. <an>, yeah. It's <laughs> an interesting take on it. I, I haven't, um, it, yeah, that was sort of a running gag, uh, for me. I, I thought of it during the beginning portion of that film. And, uh, it always just kind of that little sequence there just always stuck out to me. It's just a nice, a nice, bit of uh satire yeah um we get plenty of satire in uh some godzilla films even monster zero mm-hmm. which is a pretty serious film has a bit of satire and funny enough it comes from um uh from the um from the command not the commander the controller the controller yeah. uh when he's going back and forth with glenn that second time when they're at the before they leave with the quote unquote cure for cancer mm-hmm. uh, and him and Glenn are going back and forth and they're kind of throwing little jabs at one another. So there's a little bit of um, satire there. And uh, I just, I just really was, I, I was always wondering what, what he was thinking when he was drawing her. Uh, I, like I said, I always imagined that maybe they had had a, they had a fight the night before and he was just projecting it onto the page. But uh, I applaud you, sir, for finding <laughs> a, a, probably a creative way to, to bring that little scene to life that I think we all can laugh at. Yeah, that was, that was fun. I just, I had it in his head that he was like so frustrated because she was also being very pushy. She's like, don't ask questions, just go to this place. So he probably was mad at her. <laughs> he probably was a little bit, a little bit peeved. Probably. And so he, he took, probably. he got a little passive aggressive and uh, right. like, she's always wearing this 
damn shirt <laughs> and puts it. Which is typical for couples that have been together for a while. I think after a while you do uh, in a healthy way, yeah, in a healthy yeah, exactly. way, throw little passive aggressive jabs at one another. You know, me and, me and Lisa, my wife, uh, we do that with each other every now and then. I don't know any couple who doesn't. Do yeah, that. that's kind of, kind of um, part of the fun. It's about the, you're not being mean. It's just about like, you're so familiar with a person that you care about. You're like, well, you know, I'm, yeah. I'm not, it, because it's always, you know, if, as long as they know you're not being mean and they, you know, they never right. do. Yeah. It's like, uh, I, I do do that a lot. Don't I? Like it's, <laughs> uh-huh. you know, it's, it's fun. It's innocent. So Danny, before we head into the last segment, and I promise it's going to be, it's going to be a lot of fun for anyone who stuck around with us this long. Uh, <laughs> I, I do have one more question I want to ask you, and it's in reference to something we were talking about earlier in the conversation, uh, and I really want you to expand on it. And really, the question just is simply, why would someone want to read the GMP as opposed to just going and watching the films? Because you said you're you're pretty you're you're respecting the the dialogue in those films fairly close to what we hear, so. If for anyone wondering why they would want to go read the GMP as opposed to watching the movie itself, uh, yeah, what what case would there be for that? Man, that is uh, that is another really really good question, and the uh, self deprecating art part of my brain kind of wants to just say, no reason at all. Go watch the movies instead; they're great. <laughs> You know, but um, I, I I will not do that. Um, I will I will defend myself a little bit here. Um, sure. I, I mentioned before that I lo- I love to read, mm-hmm. and one of my favorite genres of book is the the film novelization. I love right. film novelizations. Um, right. and I love them for a lot of reasons, but the big one is because they offer you know whoever picks them up and reads them uh, another perspective on a story that they may have already seen in film form uh, uh, dozens of times. I mean, we're talking Godzilla here and I mean, I'm pretty sure most people listening would uh, also be able to attest to this, but I mean, I've seen all of the movies, I don't know, somewhere in the neighborhood of like eight quintillion times. So (laughs) same here. Yeah. 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 I mean, we all are very, very familiar with them, but for me, when especially actually even more so when I'm really familiar with something that I care very much about, uh, sometimes it's fun to find a different perspective on something that is so important to you. And I find it refreshing. Mm-hmm. I find mm-hmm. it um, uh, entertaining and I find it, I don't know. I just find it really interesting and fascinating mm-hmm. uh, because film novelizations uh, have the ability to do things that a movie cannot do. And there's not one right or wrong way to do it necessarily. It's just about, right. it's specific to, you know, the, the, I guess the genre of storytelling that we're talking about. There are things you can do in a film you can't do in a book and vice versa, right? So, right. Um, you know, take any, you know, or at least most, I won't say any, but, you know, a good film novelization uh, does a couple of things in my in my mind. Uh, one, it stays true to the, to the source material. It honors sure. the film. Uh, it feels, but it also feels like a companion piece. Um, because when I really, really enjoy a movie, a lot of the time I will seek out the novelization and I will read it because there's always interesting things going on in them that mm-hmm. might not be in the movies. Um, right. Sometimes deleted scenes from the script that are handed off to the author, um, you know, that aren't deleted at the time, but they end up in the book. And then because that process is done in kind of a different time frame than the filming. So you'll get weird things like um, 
you know, deleted scenes or deleted lines of dialogue and, uh, <clears throat> pardon me. And, um, people can debate on the, uh, <laughs> the quote unquote canonicity of those things if they want to, but it definitely lends itself to that perspective that I was talking about before. Uh, one of my favorite books just in general, not just film novelizations is, uh, Delos W. Lovelace's, uh, a novelization of the original King Kong from 1933. Okay. Uh, right. it was written at around the same time the film, uh, came out and it was also, it's also, uh, why there are a lot of, uh, Kongs being made by different people because the book is public domain. Now the movie is not, right. but the book's public domain and there are little tells, uh, because in the novelization, there are characters that aren't in the movie and there are name changes. Skull, Skull Island is called Skull Mountain Island. For example, uh, the venture, mm -hmm. The boat they're on is called the Wanderer, and the spider pit sequence is in the book. That there was that right. famous scene that got cut out of the movie. If you want to get a good kind of an indication of what it was like, check out the book. It's so good, yeah. uh, and it's a great read, and it gives you a little bit more time with the characters. And the characters in King Kong are a plus plus plus. I mean, they're the fan. It's a masterful movie in general, but yeah. it's it's a great read. It expands on the the movie without feeling like it's making things up. Um, and it also, it kind of makes, I don't know. I feel like it's kind of a, almost a more complete look at it, but it doesn't hurt the film. You know, right. it doesn't make the film feel like it's any less for excluding those things. It's a companion piece. Mm -hmm. Um, and that to me is, uh, actually I will cite the love, the Lovelace Kong novelization as one of my influences on this project, because one of the big things that I wanted to do with this project is to give the films a sense of unification that a doesn't you know betray the narrative of the movies but b isn't really you know possible in the way that the movies were made uh, especially the the showa era because that mm -hmm. was you know 15 films and uh, over the course of 21 years and they were some of them are very tight you know tightly knit in continuity and some of them, you don't quite know what's up with them. And um, right. there are there's material out there that, you know, officially published by Toho and, and other sources that have attempted to kind of clear some of those things up. But when you watch the movies, the uh, the confusion sometimes persists. You know what I mean? It's like, well, where does right. this movie fall in? You know, is it taking place in the year it was made? Like, what's was this really one year after this other movie? Like, I get a big kick out of thinking, like, when I'm watching uh, – Gosh, I don't know, like uh, Godzilla versus Gigan, which we were we were just talking about. That right. less than yeah. in, in that film's universe, less than twelve months before Gigan shows up, Hetero was on Earth, somewhere in that you know that universe. But the only perspective we have on the universe is through the lens of that one film. But it extends sure. out to the right and the left. You know, it's kind of a weird fourth dimensional you know puzzle. <laughs> but um, right, yeah, I, and it's. Yeah. It's a really interesting thing, and I and I love that you used uh, the Lovelace book for Kong Thirty Three as the example because Travis and I on Kaiju Weekly we just talked about King Kong Thirty Three, yeah. and we did talk about um, that deleted scene that never made it into the movie for the spiders because I think it was um, I think it was after they did the initial test screening for that film, and then that part of the movie came up. After the movie was over, nobody else was talking about anything else except for that scene with all of the spiders. Now, happily, that scene got 
reintroduced in Kong 05 with Peter Jackson. And it is beautifully done. It's a wonderful, it's a wonderfully heart pounding scene. And I love that film so, so much. Oh, me too. Uh, I love 33, you know, but 2005 is also very close to my heart because that is probably to me, the, the best retelling of that story that we have ever gotten. Oh, I don't know if that's, I don't know if that's a hot take or not. Uh, (laughs) I'm sure to somebody it is, but you know, even Kong 76, any of that Kong 2005 is the best retelling of the Kong story that you will find anywhere. And I love, um, I love that we've made it to this part of the conversation because to bring it into sort of the modern, to bring it to a more modern day example would be the novelization for King of the Monsters. Like one of the big, one of the big questions after King of the Monsters from the fan base was, well, what the heck was Kong doing during all this? Why didn't Kong respond to uh, King Ghidorah's call when all when all of the Titans uh, bowed? But when all the Titans recognized him as the as the new Alpha? Um, well, the book, the novelization to King of the Monsters, does go into a little bit of a detail. Go, does go into a little bit of detail as to what Kong was doing and how Kong did respond to King Ghidorah. He just kind of sat there and he was like, no, not today. I'm not feeling yeah. it. <laughs> He's like, no, mm-mm. like who's this jackass, right? <laughs> I'm, I'm above that. I'm above that. I, and, and again, talking about like expanded material, if, um, you know, if you've read the, the birth of Kong prequel comics, you know, that Kong was literally born into a situation that is horrible and tragic. And I, I yeah, don't he was think born into chaos. I don't think King Ghidorah is going to phase him. I just no. don't think after that kind of a, I mean, it wasn't just my childhood sucked. It was, I was born into the mm-hmm. slaughter of my race. Uh, yeah. It was, it's a really terribly hard part of that. It's a great graphic novel, by the way, anybody yeah, I mean, out there, I, who hasn't read it, revisit, I need to go revisit that for sure. It's really good, but it's, it, you know, that, when you read it, that part of the King of the Monsters novelization and you get that moment, you're like, nah, I, I totally get it. I, I'm pretty sure that's what Kong would do. He'd just kind of be like, oh, what's that? Oh, that's neat. Well, I'm, I got better things to do. <laughs> like, pretty I'm, much. Yeah. Pretty much. Like, let's go check out what the water buffalo are doing today. Yeah. The, uh, the, the big Miyazaki buffaloes. Yeah. I love yeah. those things. But yeah, the, the, the King of the Monsters novelization is a really good example. And I'm glad you brought that up because, um, and I actually haven't read all of it yet. Um, mm-hmm. And one of the things Neither that I've- I. Yeah, it, but it's what I've read is really good, but I've been actually avoiding it because one of my, uh, I, I really don't want to like subconsciously copy anything, like any kind mm-hmm. of writing, um, you know, any of like the verbiage or how things are it's used true. or anything like that. I did a little bit of looking at some older books just to kind of get a sense of how a giant monster story is written and should be written. There are great examples out there, uh, Godzilla and otherwise, mm-hmm. but um, I, I I didn't get too much into it because I was afraid that I would. I would like, it would, it would start to feel like one of those and not like one of mine, you know, because I do want it to be in a unique voice. And one of the big parts of that voice is an idea that um, these stories are unified in a way that the films necessarily uh, might not necessarily be there. I mean, again, stuff like the anime trilogy is very tightly knit. The, the Heisei, Mm -hmm. um, Heisei trilogy, the Heisei (laughs) series. Wow. uh, Is, uh, is also very 
has a tight knit continuity with a couple of time travel hiccups, but even that sure. I, I, I find to be, uh, I love work, working through that in my head and thinking, okay, how does this work? Um, I, yeah. I, I, that's one of the reasons Godzilla versus King Ghidorah is one of my favorites just because I like thinking about it so much. But yeah, um, I think, um, on when I did this, when I did my, when Nathan came on my show, one of the questions I think toward the end, I asked him if there was one film that he could re if he could reimagine it in his image. I, th- if I'm not mistaken, he picked Godzilla versus King Ghidorah from I, 91. I'm sure he did. And I'll tell you why uh, he, he has uh, said as much to me before in conversation that mm. uh, he would love to uh, take the scissors to that thing and just script doctor the heck out of it. Right. Um, I'm one of those crazy people that I, when I watch a movie, I, I take it as it is and I enjoy it. And I've, I've mm-hmm. never watched a Godzilla movie and thought, well, I would change this if I were, I were making it. And that's totally, sure. that's, that's a totally fine thing, but it's just not how I, I tend to watch them. I, I'm presented with the film and I look at it and I judge it on what it has given me, not what I wanted it to have in it and then make up my mind from there. And for me, there, are, there are no Godzilla films that, um, you know, I dislike, I, I love them all. I love all of them. And yeah. that's a big part of the project too, is taking a kind of a genuine love into the project because, and I, I did write about this um, in one of my little, little uh, behind the scenes blogs. Uh, and it is, it's one of the guiding principles of the project. And that's that at the GNP, all Godzilla films are created equal, which mm-hmm. means if I'm going to sit down and take the novelization of the original Godzilla seriously, then, you know, one of the goofy ones like Megalon deserves the <laughs> same amount of, of, you know, work done to it. Uh, it sounds yeah. really ridiculous when you say no, it out loud. No, no, but, no, no, no. But it's I, true. I, yeah. I, I 100% respect you for that because um, I don't want to really get into this, but there is a tendency within this fandom to look down on certain films. And I have said over and over uh, before where there's no such thing as a, as a bad Godzilla movie. There is not, there is no such thing as a bad Godzilla movie. There are, there are movies you don't like, or you don't particularly enjoy, but then that comes down to subjective taste. Exactly. That's, and that's what really this whole thing is about, uh, or that's really what that whole conversation is about. It comes down to subjective taste. And that's why I will firmly stand on, there's no such thing as a bad Godzilla movie. Like no matter how many people scream and rant and rave about, oh my God, Godzilla's revenge is so horrible. It's such a bad movie. (laughs) No, it's not. It's not a bad movie. You just don't like it. And that's in the, the great thing is, is that's okay. You know, you don't have to it like is. it, but yeah, as, as right. long as you're not being a jerk about it and being like, you have to, you have to dislike this movie or you're not a true fan or, you know, that's a whole oh, other, God. yeah, yeah. That's a whole other can of worms. I don't want to get into, but yeah, needless yeah. to thank, say, thank I, you, Mike Nordery yeah. for that. <laughs> needless to say, that is a, uh, a, uh, that's a can of worms, but it, it does yeah. happen. My philosophy is like, you know, I, I just, I just love them all, man. And I've gotten poked at for that. Like, you, why do you, you like them all? That's like, how is that possible? Like, well, I don't know. It's just, it obviously is because that's how I feel. And right. that's, there's a passion behind that. And that's a big part of actually why I, you know, said to myself, you know what? I think I can do this. I think I can actually do this project because yeah. uh, not every fan could approach it from the perspective of, 
I'm going to take Megalon as seriously as the original Godzilla. I'm going to take, um, you know, fill in the blank with whatever. One of the novels that I'm actually the most proud of having researched and written a little bit of it so far is, is Godzilla's revenge because that film, uh, needs a, um, that's one of the films I'm really excited to to put into its proper perspective because it needs a bit of rehabilitation, mm-hmm. I, I think. Uh, and I'm never, I will never try to like sit someone down and tell them that they're wrong for disliking it because that's, it's not my opinion. It's theirs. That's fine. Yeah. But, um, and I, you know, as long as they're not being a jerk, you know, that is a, right. it's, it's an opinion worth respecting from, from yeah, my I'm perspective. Gonna- yeah. I'm going to put you on the spot really quick, Danny, and ask you, do you personally feel films like Godzilla's Revenge, All Monsters Attack, or or, uh, Godzilla vs. Megalon deserve a reevaluation, sort of similar to what Gamera may be experiencing right now? Wow, I... That's kind of an interesting one. In terms of, like, All Monsters Attack, Godzilla's Revenge, absolutely uh, absolutely. And that's happening. I mean, um, a lot of, um, more prominent fans within the, the fandom are mm-hmm. basically putting Godzilla's revenge up on a pedestal now. Right. And saying, listen, this is actually a really, really thoughtful little movie, you know, mm-hmm. not necessarily a perfect film, but there's a lot more going on here than people would think. And it's all about culture right. and it's all about perspective. And it's all about the, yeah. that year, that terrible year of 1969 and the, the entire latchkey kid thing going on. And the fact that there's so much in the film that people will make fun of without really realizing what, what it's all about. Uh, one of the, the fun facts I love dishing out at people is that uh, Ichiro's ball cap people are like got that little kid in the ball cap well the ball cap is there to make sure he's not hit by a car like that's that was the function that's why little kids in all the movies in the late 60s and early 70s were wearing yellow baseball caps is because there was you know a lot more cars and more kids running around and kids were getting getting hurt they were getting into traffic accidents that's also in uh, Gamera versus Giron when Akio mm-hmm. talks about traffic accidents. Yes. Uh, yeah. Yeah. People yeah. think that's so weird, but if you, if you it look at what, if you, it makes sense in the context of what was going on in the culture at that time. Yeah. And that's one of the big things about the GNP that I'm proud of working on. And that I, I hope people will uh, appreciate is that w- without basically spoon feeding it to people, I am putting the stories into an appropriate context and I'm putting right. things in there. Like the, the, the first chapter for um, Godzilla's revenge. Uh, I, I wrote about how um, the sound of the, I don't remember how, how I phrased it and it's, it's going to come out of my mouth sounding like, like very pretentious <laughs> and I apologize for that. But I wrote something along the lines of um, how Ichiro had gotten as used to the sound of cars as he d- had to the smell of, something gross in the air and the taste of something smoky in his mouth when he walked home Mm -hmm. from work. And that's all I said about it. Like I didn't feel like I needed to say anything else. I felt like that was enough, but um, that's enough because if you will go and if, if you're familiar with that film, you see that that film is, it looks dirty. It looks, yeah, it's grimy. it looks very grimy, like the way it's shot. I'm not sure if they're using any kind of filter over top the camera. They might be to kind of enhance sort of those very warm tones of the film. Um, because you look at the contrast, you look at the, uh, it's interesting now that I think about it, the contrast between the scenes where uh, Ichiro is walking through 
uh, Tokyo and or walking home. I can't remember. Is it Tokyo? That's the city he's in or is it Osaka? It's um, uh, Kawasaki. Kawasaki. Okay. There we go. Um, So he's walking home and everything's very, very musty and dirty and very warm. (laughs) Yeah. It's very, yeah, it's really gross. But then when he transports to monster Island, everything is green and cool and lush. And uh, it's a really interesting contrast as far as the color palette they use for both locations. And that is, uh, yeah, that's completely intentional uh, because it's, it operates on the, the, what I call the wizard, the wizard of Oz visual principle of mm -hmm. gross real life and colorful, vibrant fantasy world. Um, I think there's actually a, a really strong argument uh, to be made that Godzilla's Revenge should be considered a fairy tale. Uh, it's kind of in that same genre of fairy tale as something like uh, Alice in Wonderland. I mean, it's. Uh, I'm actually currently trying to get a. Uh, I've written most of it, an article for G Fan about this very topic, and I'm o- I'm almost done with it. Um, and I've been working on it for for way too long. But in it, I basically. I say like, well, I'm I'm working on this G and P thing, and while I was doing it, I you know I was you know, reading through it and just looking at the story from different perspectives. And it, mm-hmm. it clicked in my brain, like, wait a minute, this is, you know, this is, this is Alice in Wonderland. This is the the wizard of Oz. This is um, spirited away even right. uh, labyrinth, a story about a young child who lives in a world that does not foster their dreams. And in order to escape that reality, they, they enter a dream world where uh, good and bad elements of their real world are reflected in it. And then that dream experience uh, teaches them something important about life and growing up. And then they're shot at the other end of that experience as adults, basically. Right. Uh, same thing happens to Ichiro in in Godzilla's Revenge. And just based on that, plus the cultural context, plus the, the fact that it's a really well shot film, uh, it's a really well paced film for, for being so short mm-hmm. and, um, the, the color choices and all that good stuff like that one, I think, uh, I'm really happy to see it getting reevaluated. Um, good. as much as I love Godzilla versus uh, Megalon, uh, to finish your question, <laughs> I, I, that one, I, I'm up for reevaluations of all of them, but there's, there's little denying that, that there's just a lot, you know, that didn't you know, up, that is objectively poor about how that film was made, even though it's one of my favorites and I adore it completely. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, yeah. I'm no fool. I know that, you know, it's, it's, it's not the most well-produced film, but I can't not adore that film. It's just way too much fun for me to have anything other than love in my heart for that film. Um, yeah. It was, I think it deserves to be reevaluated on the the merits that it does have because there are good you know there's a lot of great things about it there's so many mm-hmm. wonderful things about it and i think uh people that are watching it and then not saying well it's bad because it's objectively not a good movie are cheating themselves out of a fun time so if nothing right. else it should be reevaluated uh on the level of objectivity versus subjectivity like if you're having a like subjectively you are watching this film and you are having a great time with it then then it is a, it's a good movie Right. You know what I mean? Like it's done its job. It's entertained you. And there's obviously objective production problems with it, budget related, um, time frame related. Obviously there was a lot of it's a big cultural things happening with the film industry at the time that led to it being the way it is. But mm-hmm. um, I think that in terms, I think it should be reevaluated, but it, it's more like a, a personal reevaluation of how people watch movies. Like it's okay to put, put in Godzilla versus Megalon and just sit back and have fun with it. 
Right. You know, and th- that goes for other films in the in the series too. I think Megalon might be kind of the big poster child for it, but by and large, you don't see a lot of Godzilla fans hate on that movie. I don't think. I think some people do, but I think people just have too much fun with it to be mad, <laughs> which is a good yeah. thing. Yeah, I mean it 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 gave us one of the most iconic scenes in the franchise. Oh, the yeah. the got the infamous Godzilla dropkick. Oh yeah, uh, I mean I can't get enough of that. It's like, that. How do you not watch that and just <laughs> and you're not filled with joy? Like how does that not fill you with happiness? It's just so fun. <laughs> it's completely insane. It's completely ridiculous, and it's it's beautiful. I'm sorry. It is. It's so good. It is. Um, it is. Yeah. I, I, I 100% agree. Um, so on it. Okay. So my takeaway from all that was <laughs> everyone needs to go and read the GNP because there's going to be a lot more to it than just word for word rescripting these films. That's that would be fair. Um, there's going to be added cultural uh, awareness and subtext and uh, some clarifications on things that might not have made sense. Um, I just talked about all monsters attack. That's a big one. One of the big things I'm researching right now is uh, the culture of um, uh, el- elderly J- Japanese citizens that uh, lived mm-hmm. in the mountains after the war, and those were the old guys in hetera watching the battle because there's a lot of confusion about um, what's up yeah. with those weird old guys. And I, I, I found out like, I know what it is. Uh, so yeah. there's going to be a lot of things explained culturally. Um, there's not going to be a lot of, there's not going to be script doctoring, like I said before, but one thing I'm right. interested in doing is tightening continuity in some places and just kind of mm. saying, you know, in film, film C might reference film B you know, going back like, Oh, that happened. Uh, film D might reference film a, you know, there'll be a a greater sense of cohesion, but without it, without it feeling like it's betraying the narrative of the film. So, uh, one of the big things that I, I'm interested in doing is trying to find that balance because with, I want to preserve the movies, but I also feel like it'd be fun to try to shore up some continuity things and just kind of make it feel more Mm -hmm. cohesive. Uh, right. But that will never get in the way of accurately, de- you know, depicting what the filmmakers were trying to do with the films. So uh, sure. there's, you know, there's that. And then, um, and again, it's all about perspective. So for right. me, when I read a, a film novelization, it's all about looking at something that I loved in film with a fresh eyes, because it's not like watching the movie when you read a novelization. It's, it's not, there's the added stuff. There's the different, you know, it's, it's just told in a different way. And um, I find it, uh, it enhances the film when you go back and watch it again. And I'm not going to claim to create something that's like, Oh, well, if you read my books, then you'll like Godzilla more, but that, because it, you know, who am I to say that? But um, it's very important to me that I try to find, a fresh way to approach it. And the fresh way that I'm using is by respecting the era and the storytelling and the source material and um, just finding a, 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 you know, a a way to basically show these stories to people again and have them look at them and say, man, I, I, I really like these movies. (laughs) You know, (laughs) I always say in my updates, like if I can at the very least remind people why they love Godzilla through this project or just make them, you know, remember something from their childhoods. Like maybe they find it online. They find the GNP online and they're like, well, I haven't seen one of these movies in forever. What's this? And they skim through it 
and they say, they think, Oh, I remember that. And it just brightens their day for like a second. Like that's fine. That's all I could really ask for. So um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that there's without sounding like I'm tooting my own horn or anything, I think there's a lot of merit to um, converting these films to novel form. And uh, yeah. I am really honored to be the guy who's doing it. Yeah. And honestly, it's, uh, it's, it's been a pleasure, uh, kind of walking down this journey with you during this conversation. It's, I mean, it may, it, it has made me personally, um, uh, I'm not blowing smoke, but it has made <laughs> me appreciate what you do more just by hearing you tell me the, you know, tell us and tell me and the listeners <clears throat> all the work and the love that goes into this project. So, you know, so on behalf of everybody else, thanks, Danny. I mean, we really appreciate the work you do. Um, that is really, really sweet to hear, man. And, uh, I, you're, you, you are welcome, <laughs> but most of all, but most of all, thank, thank you. Thank you for, for listening to me ramble and for this really, really great conversation and for the people listening. Um, if you've checked the project out, even if it was just for a couple seconds, I sincerely deeply thank you. If you've been reading and following along, I thank you. Um, if you're, if you have no, I had no idea what this was before you listened and now you're interested in checking it out. I, I thank you. I thank you very deeply. Um, I, I'm just so appreciative. Absolutely. Absolutely. Now I, I know we only have just a few more minutes left with each other and I, I really hate to end this, but I do want to reward some of our faithful listeners for sticking around with us this long. And I want to have a little bit of fun with you. Uh, if you're willing to do that with me just for a few minutes, Sounds, sounds intriguing. Do tell. Okay. All right. So a little birdie told me that not only are you an author and an Uber fan of Godzilla, you were also a pretty accomplished voice actor <laughs> in your own right. Man, uh, yeah. Your I, work can be found on, I think uh, most recently it can be found on the Kaijusaurus podcast. Uh, you voiced uh, Dr. Sheeta for the Bride of Godzilla episode, Am I, if I'm correct. You are correct. That was a, uh, a real dream come true for me. I'm, um, I'm certainly not an actor. I wouldn't say I was an actor, but I'm, I'm, uh, I love doing it. I, I love hamming it up. I love having some fun. And I, I got the chance to audition for the, the Kaijusaurus podcast to do this, these amazing Godzilla unmade episodes. And I got the the role of Dr. Sheeta and bride of Godzilla. And I had a great time hamming it up, uh, doing like a kind of a really bad, uh, intentionally bad um, kind of a British voice to kind of sound like one of the 1970s dubs, mm. but they say Godzilla instead of Godzilla, you know, like kind of like that. Mm. Um, and uh, in addition to that, actually it was within the same week. I also did a, uh, a little voice cameo for uh, the Monster Island Film Vault, where I played um, a uh, creepy Matongo obsessed uh, scientist. <laughs> yes, I remember that. I remember yes. that. It freaked it freaked me the heck out. <laughs> did it really? It oh. did. It was it was very. Um, what's a good word to use? It was very unsettling. Yeah, I I was really having. I didn't prepare anything for that. I was all just ad libbed and. Um, uh, a couple of uh, people that I don't know, I saw their comments and then people that I do know, family members uh, listened to it and they were like, Danny, this is really, really creepy. 
Like this is really like I got scared. I was like, really? I didn't think it was that creepy. But that's consistently what I've been hearing is that it actually kind of creeped people out. And uh, I, I I don't have a problem with that. That's kind of awesome. <laughs> yeah. So um, like I said, if you've got a few minutes, I want to throw out some voices and scenarios for you to, to act through and to work through. Uh, it's not going to be a lot. It's just going to be sort of a handful. Uh, I'm going to throw you some, um, I'm going to throw you some easy ones first and then maybe end on a little bit, some more, the, a little bit more difficult. Uh, so the first one, Danny is Minya ordering tacos at taco bell because we were just talking about tacos earlier in this episode Oh no all right let me ordering order ordering tacos all right let me let me see here let's see oh can you all can you hear me in there uh i'm kind of a plain jane when it comes to my uh my tacos i just want some bean burritos with only beans and cheese please Godzilla says, I need to watch my waistline, you know. What do you mean you won't give it to me without lettuce? You're just a big bully. How do you like that, weirdo? <laughs> oh, that was amazing. That just, that just made my, I'm, I'm sorry, that just made my day. Um, oh, you're welcome. You're not a bully. <laughs> you know, what's weird is that's, that, well, that's dangerously close to Goofy. Uh-huh. It is. It is very dangerously close to Goofy, which is, which is why Goofy's not on my list because it is very close to Goofy. Yeah, that's that's close. Also, you probably don't want to get the uh, the Disney drones, the spy drones coming down on you and <laughs> suing you. It's true. It's true. Uh, because I have a feeling your your impress Im, your impression would be dangerously close to get me a copyright strike. <laughs> um, so to face well, litigation. <laughs> I'm I'm glad you I'm glad you brought up Mickey because <laughs> Mickey always likes to bring up Mickey. <laughs> of course, he's oh, he's God. the most he's the most narcissistic mouse I have ever met and <laughs> I've never seen in my life. Um, okay, so Mickey, oh. here's the here's the scenario, <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, Mickey plays the part of the drunk in Godzilla 1984 when Godzilla comes to town. Do you know what oh, I'm talking yeah. about? My goodness. All right, here we go. I got this whole dang restaurant to myself. <laughs> Where's the booze? Oh, here we go. One for me and one for me. <laughs> I kill me. What? You, what are you doing here? Godzilla? You've got to learn some matters. You big jerk. Get out of my restaurant. I'm going to have Disney buy this whole chain. The whole damn chain, Godzilla. The whole chain. Just you wait. The might of the Disney Corporation will come down on you. We'll own you by the end of this. And I mean it. We'll literally own you. Mickey out. Oh, boy. All right, I'm better. I'm back now. (laughs) Uh, Bravo, sir. Bravo. Because I know that's a little bit of a challenge because that actually, if I'm not mistaken, that what the sequence you just acted out there comes from the 85 dub, not the 84 yeah, uh, to 85. Cause I didn't want him to, to maybe die at the end. Cause that would have just been. Too right, yeah. Yeah, for <laughs> sure. 
I just I love the one for me and one for me. He sounds like slightly drunk George Takei in the dub, and I love it. For sure. Okay. <laughs> All right, Danny, for the next one, this is going to be a really fun one. I think a lot of the folks listening are going to, be, are going to get a kick out of this. The Hulk versus Russ Tamlin. Oh, all right. Here we go. Let's see if I can get my deep Hulk voice. There we go. That's kind of because you got It's like it's a kind of a difference because you don't want to go because it'll ruin your voice. But if you go right, it'll get worse. So let's see here. Hulk smash tiny laconic actor. What are you uh, what are you trying to say here? I'm about to just walk away from this whole situation. I'm. So bored. God, where's the gargantuas? Maybe they should come here and fight this battle for me. I don't want them to have to come save my butt again, but they will if I have to. Man, they're late. Hulk tired of waiting. Hulk smash. I, I, I know, I know, I know. Just you smash things. It's fine. It's fine. I don't really care. I'm just here for my paycheck. You know, I'm just here for my... I'm just... Wait, what are you doing? Oh my God, you're totally about to smash me. I think this is going to... Dad. (laughs) Oh boy. Okay. All right. Alas, poor poor Russ. I I will not mourn that man. Um, (laughs) Ouch. um, Okay. The controller of Planet X... Going on a blind date. Okay, let's see if I can get this one here. <clears throat> you don't look much like your profile picture. But I'm willing to give this a shot if you are. So, what do you want to drink? Oh, you are you don't drink alcohol, huh? Well, I feel like I'm going to need a lot of alcohol after that. Don't ask me why. Waiter, please bring me water. Water is very valuable on my planet. I've run out of things to say. This date is over. (laughs) 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 Oh, gosh. Okay, Danny, I know I've kept you long enough, but I've got one more, and it's sort of going to be like a what is emerge like two wor- like two worlds collide kind of situation all right <laughs> um what if we had dr shida who is your character you played it you played that character on the kaiju saurus podcast for bride of godzilla and what if we had him interview for the position of dr doroff's new lab assistant what what would that interview sound like horrifying i'm sure <laughs> oh no okay let me let me let me see if i can do this here because if i prepare too much it's not gonna it's not gonna happen all right let's see here all right so he's he's he wants to be his assistant let's see <clears throat> come in i say This place is a little bit creepy, isn't it? Well, let's get down to it, shall we? I'm here to talk about the job opening. The job opening? I'm not sure what you mean. I've 
not sure what you mean by you're not sure what you mean, sir. You put out a request for a new lab assistant. I study giant monsters. I've seen Godzilla in person. I think I'd be an asset to your team. I don't remember putting out a request for help. It's usually just me down here alone in the darkness with my mushrooms. <laughs> I say I don't really know what's so funny about that. What are you laughing at? <laughs> you, you, you wouldn't understand. <laughs> no, 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 no. I need you to listen to me. Come back. See this finger? Follow it. There we go. Focus on my eyes. Excellent. Now, I'm here for the job opening. You study monsters. I study monsters. I could be an asset. Do I have the job? Or do I not have the job? <laughs> well, I suppose... No, 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 a simple yes or no will do. I have other opportunities I could explore, trust me. I've got a drill submarine and a giant robot daughter. I'm very in demand these days. I could take my services elsewhere, you know. <laughs> no, no. I, I want you to stay. I, I want you to become a part of what I'm doing here. <laughs> I'm still not sure why you're laughing, but... Does that mean I'm hired, or maybe not? Could you please clarify? <laughs> Could you please not talk so loudly? <laughs> what do you mean I don't talk loudly at all? It's a perfectly reasonable volume, sir. Do, do I have the job? Oh, <laughs> you have the job, all right. <laughs> Soon you will see the truth, as I have seen it. <laughs> and seen. <laughs> oh boy! Sorry, that went on. That went on a little Bravo, longer than I thought. Yes, yes, yes. That was, whew, that was that was fun. That was fun. Bravo, good sir, man. I, I hope I didn't wear you out too much with this. No, no, I'm good, man. I I love hamming it up. I mean, like I said, I mean, if it's not obvious from having listened to it, I am not an actor, but I do have I I do have fun with it. I love doing impersonations. Right. I love doing accents. I love it's it's just it's just fun stuff. Thank you for uh, for throwing throwing that at me. That was really fun. <laughs> <laughs> well, absolutely. And uh, you know, I know we've been on here for a while, but I I wanted to do that as sort of a, a little treat and a little reward for all the listeners that have stuck around with us this for this long. So yeah, this is this no, is thank, been a long chat. <laughs> yeah, thank you, sir, man. I, I really appreciate that. And again. Uh, thank you for having this conversation with me. I, I'm extremely proud of the work we've done through that throughout this whole journey we've taken together. Um, but before we get out of here, um, take a few minutes and give all of your shameless plugs. And if you want to share what's next for the GMP and Danny DeMana, feel free to do that. All right. Um, here comes the knuckle cracking. So um, this is the part that I'm always bad at because I'm 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 very bad at self promoting. You know, because I'm just like, oh, I'm not that important. But it's I need to get better at it. So here it goes. Um, as previously uh, mentioned, the uh, the GNP is a website that can be visited. It's basically the archive for all of the. Um, all of the books, but there's a lot more to the novelization project website than just, uh, than just the, the film novelizations. That's actually just one thing that's on the website. So if you go to um, Godzilla novelization project, all one word.com, 
um, you will find all kinds of really, I think, kind of cool stuff. Um, right now, there are multiple books that have been started. Uh, and I did that to give some variety to the site, just in case somebody didn't want to read one, they could jump to the other one. Uh, it covers the, the, the stories that I've picked so far. There's maybe, oh gosh, maybe 10 nine or 10 or 11 books. I actually don't remember how many I've started off the top of my head, but uh, they're all, they're all there and they're at various points of progress. And um, I feel like they cover a wide breadth of what I'm uh, capable of, of doing or what I'm trying to challenge myself to do is a better way to say it uh, as a writer. There's scary stuff. There's fanciful stuff. There's fun stuff. There's sci-fi, there's horror, there's fantasy, there's comedy, there's all kinds of stuff. So, cause Godzilla is all those things depending on the story. So the right. books are there. Um, if you're in the mood for a complete read, but that's a little bit shorter than a book, uh, the Godzilla Novelization Project also has a series of uh, short stories on it um, that total, I believe, at the moment, five. Uh, one of them's not quite done yet, but they are adaptation, shorter adaptations of um, other films and elements of some of the films. Um, probably the actually just in general, probably the story on the site that I'm best known for right now is um, the Steve Martin report, which is a first person recounting of the events of Godzilla King of the Monsters, the original, of course, uh, through Raymond Burr's point of view. And I basically, I took his narration dialogue from the film and I uh, just added in all the spaces where he didn't talk in the movie and turned it into a complete account of what he saw and uh, made it a short story. And people have just really loved it. And uh, it's been really cool to see people telling me how much I like it. So if you like shorter things, um, that's up there. There's a Rodan short story, a Matongo short story, um, uh, all of them adhering to the original films, but just in kind of a shorter form. Uh, they were books that I didn't really think I would end up doing full novels of, and they didn't really lend themselves to the full novel format. So that's, that's my way of telling those stories and making them a part of the project. Uh, the project also features some behind the scenes blogs, um, which are fun. I need to do more of those. It also features um, kind of what I consider the other 50% of the site, which is the timeline project. Because as I mentioned before, kind of making the continuity stronger in the stories is a priority. And, and as I'm doing that, I'm basically crafting these very in-depth timelines for each of the Godzilla continuities. There's a Showa one that's up right now. Um, there's a, more additions coming to that actually within the next few weeks. I'm really excited about that. Uh, there's one for the MonsterVerse. There's one for the anime series. There will eventually be various Millennium ones, and Shin Godzilla will get one. The Heisei Universe will get one. Um, so there's there's all kinds of fun stuff. Even the Sony Universe, the 98 Godzilla has a timeline. Uh, I've had a lot of fun with that. And it seems like people have really been enjoying kind of diving into that. So that's been fun. Um man, it's, it's, there's actually quite a lot of stuff. Um, and it's, it's all, I think, you know, at least worth checking out. If one thing isn't quite your, your cup of tea, then there might be something that is, but, um, man, beyond, beyond the GNP, uh, I've got, I, I mean, I have a couple of things I'm working on in my own time that I can actually, you know, make a living off of because the big thing about the GNP is obviously I don't, I mean, I, I don't own the character, so I can't make money off of it, nor would I try. Uh, I have too much respect for Toho and in, in the films to try to like monetize it in any kind of significant way. Um, but uh, that being said, I do have a Patreon account uh, that is open uh, for anybody that would like to uh, throw some, some money at the project. This is the part that's always so hard to do because I'm terrible at plugging Patreon, but um, 
the I, I guess the long and the short of it is Patreon support is really going to be pivotal to getting this done because the money that um, is given to me through patrons and I want to say I have eight currently and uh, they're all just lovely people, people that I are, I know from my personal life and some people that I met through Patreon and them supporting me. Um, and I, it's just so flattering that people have been, have been doing, you know, taking it to that level. So right now I can't, I haven't been able to offer a lot in the way of like physical merchandise. I have a goal on there right now that once I start earning $50 a month through Patreon, I can start doing things like t-shirts and physical merchandise and stuff. Um, and then I can start offering higher tiers right now. It goes from uh, $1, which gets you uh, behind the scenes stuff and updates uh, $5, which gets you um, early access to anything that I write for the website. And then $10 is the fun one where I will, you, you tell me what your favorite Godzilla movie is. And I'll put your name in that book as a character, like one of the unnamed characters in the movie. Like I'll just say, I'll put you, I'll put your name in there somewhere and you can become a previously unnamed character in the Godzilla movie of your choice. Fascinating. Uh, yeah. Um, Nate is actually at that level and funny enough. So is Jimmy is <laughs> his, his <laughs> erstwhile producer. Um, I, I made Jimmy the offer when I was on monster Island film vault because his favorite movie is monster zero. And I said, dude, I'll put your name in the book. If you throw me $10 a month on Patreon and like the next day I get an email, Jimmy from NASA is now a patron. Um, <laughs> it's hilarious. And so, yeah, wild. Um, isn't that great? So I have to put, I have to put that in there somewhere, but, um, he'll get his well-deserved cameo. And I've had a lot of fun with that. Um, I have actually, I want to say a, a fair amount of, uh, supporters who have been at that level or are still there. And I, I guess that it's been enjoyable. So I, I will, I will yeah. eventually get the books to the point where I can actually start putting the names in. But, um, and when I do that, it's going to be great. But yeah, the, um, Patreon money goes toward helping me get research material, sometimes from Japan. Sometimes it's very expensive. I'm hunting things down like uh, Toho, like, you know, big, thick Toho approved books with information in them and like original scripts from the films and sometimes copies of the films with uh, accurate translations because you can't always get those in the United States because the, the, the infamous dub title is a thing. And I can't right. use I can't use subtitles for that are inaccurate as reference. So I have to find accurate translations of the text. And uh, money from Patreon will ultimately also go to hiring translators with stuff that I can't translate myself. Um, it allows right. me to take time off of my day job um, to to write more and get people content faster. So Patreon is uh, really really important. And um, I, I do a terrible job of plugging it because I, I don't like asking people to just give me their money. Um, but I, uh, if anyone out there is interested in throwing a dollar a month at, at the GNP, then um, you will you will be rewarded with cool, interesting things. And uh, one of which is my eternal gratitude because it's it still blows my mind that people are willing to support the project. Um, like that and take it to that that monetary level. Um, but other than that, uh, in my Outside the GMP sphere, aside from doing podcasts and things like that, I'm also um, working on maybe trying to get a uh, multimedia slash blog site set up. Maybe. Sure. I don't know for certain if uh, when or if that will happen, but because uh, I have a lot of work I'm doing for the GNP, so I don't want to spread myself too thin or people are going to be waiting even longer for things. So that's that's on the that's on the docket. Um, I, I have... Uh, 
articles I'm writing for GFAN right now. Um, I have a, a top secret project that is not GMP related, but it is Godzilla related that I, I cannot talk about yet. Um, I am, Ooh, okay. yeah, yeah. It's a, it's a juicy one. I'm actually collaborating with a really good friend of mine, uh, who's also a really great artist and a good writer. And we are working on a really, really awesome, uh, project that we hope, uh, to present to Godzilla fans, uh, within a couple of months. It's, it's kind of been slow going, uh, working on it, but when it, when I can say what it is, I'll say what it is, but I think people are really going to be excited by it. So that's all I'll say okay. now. Um, okay. And I mean, aside from that, it's mostly just, you know, <laughs> interacting with people and just having fun, just having fun. Yeah. I mean, um, yeah. where can folks find you online, Danny? Folks can find me on, uh, aside from the website itself, I can be, uh, I can be uh, messaged on Facebook. There's an official uh, GNP Facebook page. Uh, I would, I love when people message me on there and say, Hey, I read what you, I read what you do and I liked it. And, um, I'm, uh, I, I just, I, that just tickles me. I, I have a big presence on Twitter, which uh, we mentioned before, but it, it blows my mind. I'm, I'm an almost 2,100 followers and I get a lot of, um, readers from there. And I have a lot of lovely conversations with Godzilla fans there. Um, the, uh, the Godzilla novelization project website has a tab where if you want to like contact me via social media or email, uh, there are links to all of those things there, but yeah, you can email me and, you know, at a uh, Godzilla novelization project. Um, gmail.com. And you can tell me I'm cool. You can tell me I'm ruining your childhood. You can <laughs> tell me, I, you know, I don't, I don't, I just, you know, you can tell me what your favorite Godzilla movie is and I will talk back with you eventually. Um, I've been getting a lot more emails lately. So responding to them has been a little bit, uh, difficult, which I did not anticipate as being a thing, but it has yeah. been a thing. And, um, yeah, but I just love it. Send me, send me cool Godzilla things that you make. I love when people show me their art. I love when people show me their own stories. Uh, and, and like I said before, my, my big goal is to just spread some positivity and maybe brighten people's days. And, um, yeah. and, and I love talking to people about Godzilla. I love talking to people yeah. about just things in general. So, uh, yeah. find me, talk to me, uh, read what I, I write. If you are so inclined, uh, support by sharing it with other people. Uh, if you have a friend that maybe doesn't know what the project is and you're like, dude, I know I, I have you ever heard of this? And they say, no, send it to them and see if they, see if they think it's cool. Who knows? Maybe, maybe you'll brighten their day. Um, but yeah, I'm just, I'm just in it. I'm in it for the long haul and I'm in it to have fun because if you're not having fun, you're not doing it right. And, uh, there's not been a moment I haven't had fun. Um, and uh, I just, I'm just enjoying the ride. Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure, man. Um, and what a wild ride it's been throughout, <laughs> yeah. throughout this entire conversation. Like my my mind is swimming right now because there's just been so much information that we've that we've discussed. And man, I wish you all the best of luck in everything you have your hands in. I'm looking forward to seeing more from you in the coming months. And it has been an absolute pleasure talking with you. Thank you so much. I, uh, I really, truly appreciate that. And I appreciate, um, uh, the opportunity to, to come on the show and to, you know, shoot the breeze about Godzilla and to have a, a lovely, uh, avenue for promoting, uh, the project. I, I had a yeah. blast. Uh, you run a great show. I, uh, I love what you do as well. So thank you. And, um, yeah, dude, this was great. This was a lot of fun. 
Well, man, I will, I will definitely have you back, uh, in the future. And cause like I said, this has been, this has been a real pleasure and a real treat, a real treat. And I'm extremely proud of the work we've done. Hey there, audio listener, Michael here. Before we get out of here, I wanted to take a moment and play a very special message from a friend of both Danny and I, Nathan Marchand, host of the Monster Island Film Vault podcast. Nathan, take it away. Hello, kaiju lovers! I'm Nathan Marchand, the host and curator of the Monster Island Film Vault, a podcast seeking entertainment and enlightenment through tokusatsu. And that's my intrepid producer, Jimmy from NASA, who miraculously survived the infamous war in space, but he won't tell me how. Anyway, join me and my rotating roster of guest hosts as we critically and academically examine various kaiju and tokusatsu media, and have fun along the way. Assuming the mysterious Monster Island Board of Directors doesn't suddenly cancel us. I did say that out loud, and I don't care. Check out our website, monsterislandfilmvault.com, or find us on your favorite podcatcher. Jimmy, cue credits. Oh, yeah, it's a trailer. Oops. Thank you, Nathan. And thank you, dear audio listener, for sticking it out with us this long. It was an absolute pleasure getting to speak with Danny about the Godzilla novelization project. I had a lot of fun. It sounded like Danny had a lot of fun. And most importantly, I hope you, the audio listener, were entertained and fascinated by the conversation. It truly is because of Kaiju and Tokusatsu fans just like you that this show continues to grow and will remain one of my favorite things to do each and every week. Um, So until next time, I'm Michael, the Kaiju Groupie, signing off. Thank you for listening to the Kaiju Groupie Podcast, a podcast produced and hosted by Michael Hamilton using RedCircle.com. If you enjoyed today's episode and want to continue this conversation, please email me directly at kaijugroupiepod at gmail.com. Also, follow us on social media by joining the Kaiju Groupie Facebook group, on Twitter at Kaiju Groupie Pod, and on Instagram at the Kaiju Groupie. The show is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, or wherever you find your favorite giant monster podcasts. Also, please take a moment to rate and review the show. This will help spread the word to other Kaiju and Tokusatsu fans, and if you do, I promise I'll read your comments on the next episode. All film, audio clips, and graphics belong to their respective copyright holders with no infringement being intended or implied. So until next time, I'm Michael, the Kaiju Groupie, signing off. Thank you.